What's up, everybody, and happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. No matter where you're at in your motherhood journey, we've got a special Sunday just for you. Now, I'm going to talk about that in just a second, but I want to reiterate what you may have heard in our announcements today. We have started making our plans for regathering for regular worship services, but we need your help. See, we need to know where you're at, what you're comfortable with, what your opinions are on our regathering, so we can build Build those into our strategy. So on the screen, you've got this QR code. If you scan that, you, you, could, you could pull it up on your computer and scan it. You could, if you're watching on your phone, you'll have to figure it out somehow. But if you scan that and you click the survey button, there is a quick survey for you there. And we need you to take a few seconds and fill that out for us so we can take you into consideration as we regather. Now, all that being said, we're about to make momentum history. We're doing something today we've never done before. Today, we have an actual Mother's Day message. Most years, I just take a pass on this because I'm well aware, what am I supposed to say to moms? Motherhood, hey, am I right, lady? You know, I'm not trying to be hokey, so usually we just preach in the normal series that we're in and we say, God bless the mothers of this world. Today we're doing something different. God has laid something on my heart for you moms out there that I believe is going to be an encouragement to you. So this is your Sunday here at Momentum Online. We're going to jump in. First, let's pray. God and Father, there is so much that goes in to being a great mother, be that a single parent, be that running a household, be that all of the weight and pressure that mothers carry. God, I pray for one thing specifically today, that lives would be lifted, that through your word, not me talking, through your, the power of your spirit and your word, that the hearts of mothers would be encouraged to go and be everything that you've made them to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Like I said, uh, I don't know a ton about mothering. I was raised by a great mother. I've lived with a great mother for the last nine years. So I did some Instagram polling this week to really find out what sits in the hearts of the modern mother. And without a doubt, there are two things I can say confidently about mothers and motherhood today. First is simply this. In motherhood, there's power. I was thinking about this, and I've watched my own household, and I've seen this, you know, other places as well. When a kid skins their knee, they fall off their bike, and something happens. They call for mom. When a kid gets stung by a bee, the first words out their mouth, at least for my kids, are mommy. I want mom. They don't want dad in those moments. They want mom. In Forrest Gump, it wasn't dad who said life is like a box. Well, I'm not doing that. It was his mom who said life is like a box of chocolates. When you see a, you see a sporting event and the camera is panning the sidelines and it comes to an athlete or, or somebody even in the stands, they say, hi, what? Mom. The biker tattoo, the little heart, it, it has a little sash in the middle. It doesn't say dad on there. It says mom. A mother is a powerful thing. I remember that powerful scene in the movie Saving Private Ryan when the young soldiers were wounded. And it, and it was so powerful to see these young men laying on the ground wounded in World War II calling out for their mom. A mom's a powerful thing. Motherhood's powerful because when you get a little older in life, and you're talking through a life situation, who do you pick up the phone and call? You call mom. Motherhood's a powerful thing because when you find that special someone and you consider spending the rest of your life with them, who do they have to meet first? They have to meet mom. What do we know about motherhood? We know in motherhood there is power. 
You know, the other thing I discovered as I pulled moms uh, this week and asked them about their lives and, you know, what's the challenges associated with motherhood? What have you gone through as a mother? If I could sum it all up in one word, it's pressure. Uh, I'd say the other thing I understand about motherhood is in motherhood, there's pressure. There's pressure for some people to get pregnant and even become a mother. There's pressure to be a certain type of mother, to get motherhood right, to even know what is right. If you never had somebody modeling it for you, there's pressure to feed your kids the right kind of foods. There's pressure to keep up your kid with other kids and you're, you're momming with other moms. And you know what? For every single parent, every single parent could relate to this, moms and dads alike. There's pressure from our past. See, some of you feel a pressure because there were things you experienced as a child that you never want your kids to experience. So you have gone to lengths as a mother to make sure your kids never experience those things that you did. Or for some of you, there are things that you should have experienced in your childhood and you never experienced those things in your childhood. And, and because you didn't, you have now run yourself out to make sure your child gets to experience those things. In motherhood, there's pressure. And you guys, that's why this morning or whenever you're watching, that's why here in this Mother's Day message, I want to bless you. I want to lift up your eyes and remind you of the power that's available to you in our God and Lord. I want to lift up your eyes and cause you to lean into the power of God in your parenting journey. I've got good news for you today, and it's going to start with a tiny sentence, and we're going to build on it through the rest of this message. Let me give you the sentence. It's simply this. God's plans for your child are not dependent on your perfection as a parent. Let me run that back. God's plans for your child are not dependent on your perfection as a parent. Rest assured, can I tell you something? God has plans for your child. He has a vision for your child, a destiny, a ticket to your child's destiny with their name written on it. He has plans for the kind of person they'll become, for the way they're going to grow, for the things they're going to know, for the people they're going to meet, for the life they're going to live, and for the contribution they're going to make to the rest of humanity. He is lacking no clarity in his vision for your child. But here's what you need to know. God is passionately committed to seeing that vision through. As a matter of fact, God is more passionate about your child walking in his plans than you are or than I am for my own children. And the news I want to bring to you today is getting that child into those plans is not dependent on you parenting perfectly today. God does not need perfection from you to make your child everything he needs them to be. It is in the Bible, both front and back. Join me in scripture and I'll show you. Have you ever met Moses' mother? Her name's Jochebed. We learn about her for the first time in Exodus chapter 1. I'll give you the context and then we'll dive into the text in just a minute. 
See, this time, this is after Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. If you're following our Bible, no one told you about Joseph. Brings Israel up to, up to Egypt. They're in Egypt. The nation of Israel begins to grow and grow and grow. And, and but Joseph dies and people forget about him, the contributions he's made. And the nation of Israel is stuck in a land that is not their own. They become enslaved by the Egyptian people. But if you were to read Exodus chapter 1, you would probably come to understand that the Hebrew people in Egypt must have been practicing natural family planning because they had tons of babies. Let's be honest, that stuff doesn't work. So anyways, in Exodus chapter 1, we see that the Israelite people, the Jewish people in Egypt, are multiplying so fast, the Egyptians become concerned that they're going to mass so many people that Egypt is overthrown by these Israelites. So the king in Exodus chapter 1 gives these orders. It says this, when you are helping, he's, he's speaking to the midwives of the Israelite people. When you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if you see that it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let these boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh. These are some young, powerful women in their own right, by the way. They answer Pharaoh, king of all of Egypt. The Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They're very vigorous. And when they give birth, they give birth before the midwives arrive. Hey, what do you want us to do? They're just popping these babies out left and right. We really can't help it. So this is the context of Jacobed's parenting. She, she knew, oh, she knew pressure. She, she knew what it was like to be mothering and experience motherhood in a high-pressure environment. The text continues. Then Pharaoh gave this order to his, all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born must be thrown into the Nile, but let every girl live. Now a man from the tribe of Levi, that's Moses' father, married a Levite woman, Jochebed, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw she was a, he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But watch this. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds on the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Do you hear what's happening here? See, under the weight of this new law that her baby boy is supposed to be killed, let me fill in the gap for you. Jacobed had known her land, and he, she knew the area, and she knew that in a specific place on the Nile River, Pharaoh's daughter and her entourage went to bathe. So what does she do? She grabs a little basket, she coats it in tar so it'll float, and she places the basket in the reeds in hopes that Pharaoh's daughter will see the beautiful baby boy and have mercy on him. Now let me tell you something here. This is not perfect parenting. This is not perfect parenting circumstances. This is a woman simply doing her best. Put yourself in her shoes for a minute. 
hold your newborn baby boy in that basket. Walk down the silty, muddy water of the Nile River to those reeds. Feel what's in her heart as she sets her baby down and walks away as he's gazing up at her giggling. Feel what's in her heart as she walks away from that river, not knowing if this will be the last time she sees her baby boy. Oh, this isn't perfect, but it's her reality. You better believe that Jacobed knew motherhood and guilt. Oh, she knew mommy guilt. She knew guilt, shame, fear. She knew sorrow. She knew what it was like to potentially be losing her baby in plain sight. She walks away from that river having done her best. But fortunately for her, God's plans for Moses were not dependent on perfect parenting or the perfect parenting circumstance for that instant because when she gave her best, God did the rest. She lays her baby there in care of her Lord and God, and God takes that offering and multiplies it. And here's what happens to Moses. At just the right time, Pharaoh's daughter comes, and at just the right time, she takes mercy on this baby boy. At just the right time, they find Pharaoh, or they find Moses' mother and ask her to be a wet nurse to her own baby boy. At just the right time, Moses grows up in Pharaoh's household. At just the right time, Moses meets God on a mountain. At just the right time, God sends Aaron to go and be with Moses as they come back to Pharaoh when he says that famous word, let my people go at just the right time. God uses that baby boy from that circumstance to bring deliverance to a nation. And let me tell you something, it was not because of perfect parenting. God's plans for Jacob's child Moses were not dependent on perfection, but on God's power and love. You get it for her. But what would happen if you got it for you? What would happen today here online if you really embrace the fact that for your child to become everything they're meant to be, for all of their, your wildest dreams to be fulfilled, you don't have to be a perfect parent. You know Mary's story, right? Mary, mother of Jesus. I mean, I'll tell you in a minute, but I'll tell you something else. I polled some people this week. I said, come on now, be honest with me. What are some things you never thought you'd do as a mom? And people send in some great mom failures. They go, I let my toddler watch TV. I've screamed at my kids. I bribe my children frequently. I look the other way when they eat food off the floor. I got angry and told my kids Santa isn't real. We've got some proud mom fails in the Momentum family. But you know, none of them, none of them even come close to Mary, the mother of Jesus' mom fail. You know that, right? The story's in Luke 2. I I want you to check this out with me. It says, every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, they're, they're making this big journey back to their house, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. 
Here it is. But they were unaware of it. Mama, you need to underline what's coming next in your Bible. You need to have somebody write this on your wall. They were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. They began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days... They found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Can I tell you something? Mary lost Jesus. Think on that for She lost the Savior of the world. That's why I think you should underline these verses. Or, or that's why I think you need to take these words and just put them up on the wall. So when you've had a bad day as a mom, you could just take a big breath and look at those words and go, you know what? At least I didn't lose the Son of God today. Matter of fact, this is a pretty good day. I'm in good company. Because God's plans for Jesus weren't tied to Mary's perfection as a parent. God's plans for your child are not tied to your perfection. You do the be your best and God will do the rest. He did it for Mary. Do you get it for you? You know, something's interesting here too in this verse. This is a little Matt Allman scholarly Bible note, if you will. Do you know this is the, the last passage we have? of Mary and Joseph and Jesus. See, Jesus is 12 here. We get the birth story. We get to see what happens in his adolescence. But do you know, we do not get another Jesus passage until Jesus is 30 years old. You know why I think that is? I think after these stories made it into the Bible, Mary decided she's going to be a part of the editing process. I think, she, I think she was sitting back there looking over Luke's shoulder after this going, come on now, you got me at 16 and pregnant. You got me losing Jesus. Buddy, we're going to be done talking about my parenting. Why don't we just cut to the chase and tell him? About, I'll tell you what, you write one more thing about my motherhood, I'm going to slap the biblical dust off your forehead. Now, let's go. That's just my theory. I don't know. I can't verify that. But if you got a better explanation why Mary's parenting is no longer in Scripture after this story, I'd love to hear it. But here's what I hope you see today. God's plans for your child are they're tethered, they're wrapped around, they're bound to his power and love so you don't have to be perfect anymore. You know what happens when you get this? You become free. Oh my gosh. You, you get the idea that God is going to pursue your child in his power and love and he's got a long history of, of using imperfect parents to do extraordinary things with children. If you embrace that, you become free. You become free from scenario sickness. You know scenario sickness, right? Like when you think the whole weight of everything that you're trying to pull off is on you, Scenario sickness will eat you for dinner. Scenario sickness is when you have one little problem on your hand and you just go to all the other problems you're going to have on your hand because of this problem that's on my hand. I got to school this child now. And if she doesn't get this math concept, well, then she won't have an opportunity when she gets out of high school. And if she doesn't have opportunities when she gets out of high school, then how is she going to get into the right kind of college? And what if she doesn't get into college? And what if she, you know, jumps into a relationship with some guy? All of this because we didn't get our long division down straight. What 
if he doesn't get into private lessons and doesn't make that team that we really want him on and he doesn't excel? How's he ever going to be confident? And if he's not confident, we're just sending this guy into the world to be taken advantage of by other people. And if she doesn't get the attention she needs with every single moment of the day, I got to ring myself out to make sure she knows how loved she is because if she doesn't, then she'll, she'll, she'll go looking for love somewhere else. And before you know it, she's 20 years old, dressed like a cat at a frat party, sitting on some Chad's lap. I can't have that. That's scenario sickness. The last one might have been from my own pathology, but we'll come back to that some other day. But here's what I'll tell you. You know the cure for scenario sickness? It's remembering that there is a God who is passionately committed to your child's future. You know the cure for scenario sickness? It's Psalm 121. I really think memorizing this could change some of your lives. He says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber indeed. He who watches over Israel will never sleep nor slumber. He who wa- The Lord watches over you. The Lord is the shade at your right hand. And the sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. You know what happens when you get these words? You become more free. God's plans for your child are not dependent on your perfection as a parent. I'll tell you what, you become free to boast in your weakness. Now, I want to talk about this for a minute because, you know, boasting in our weakness in parenting is becoming more common. And honestly, I think it's a healthy trend. There's the whole bad mom culture. And it's fun to joke about how imperfect you are. The culture has swung that direction, which I do think is an improvement. But I just want to tell you something. When you have faith in God, you have a better boast. See, the bad mom boast is just making some yucks about, oops, I forgot to do this today. And truth be told, moms only share the things that they feel make them look better as a mom anyways. But when you have God, you have a better boast. You can boast in your weakness, knowing that it's connected to a promise. Have I shown you 2 Corinthians 12? Where it simply says this. Paul, an apostle, uh, a guy who had his life radically transformed by Jesus, wanted so much to be freed from all of his pain, his sin, and his troubles. And he talks about this thing that was a thorn in his side that never really went away. We don't know what it is, but Paul writes about it in these words. And he says this, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that, okay, there's a condition here. That there's, it's tied to something. My boast is connected to something. What is it connected to? I'll boast in my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Do you hear the transaction here? When you have faith in God, God exchanges your boast and your weakness for his power resting on you. Have you thought about that? I mean, the God of heaven and earth says to you personally, I want to make a deal with you. I mean, whole, think, think on your biggest parenting challenges, the flaws you wish you could erase, the things you wish were different about you and your parenting. 
And imagine God saying this to you. Hey, how about we make a deal? Going forward, I don't want you to hide, for your weak, or hide from your weakness. I don't want you to mask your weakness. I don't want you to compensate for your weakness, cover up your weakness. I just want you to embrace your weakness. I want you to boast about your weakness. I want you to throw your arms around your inadequacy and give it a kiss on the mouth. And if you do, I'll give you my power in exchange. If you boast in your weakness, here's what I'll do. I will give you my power personally. And that power will make sure that your weakness never interrupts your, my plans for your life or for the lives of your children. I, I think you get that intellectually, but I just want you to pause right now. And I want to ask you, how would you feel today if you literally took God up on his offer? How would you feel this Mother's Day if you made a spiritual decision to boast in your weakness and trust that God was going to give you his power in return? I think it would change everything. You know, there's one more thing about the, the awareness of God in your parenting journey, the freedom you have when you realize it's not on your perfection, but rather on his power. You become free to help others who are also on their parenting journey. You know, there's a problem when I have my children in this arm and my perfectionism in the other. See, the, the problem is, there's actually a few, when I am carrying the weight of my children, their lives, and their future, and my perfectionism in this arm, number one, it is a heavy weight to carry. Children are hard enough to carry. Their lives, their futures, their minds, their mentality, their education is hard enough to carry. But when, when I carry perfectionism in the other arm, it is a weight that will simply wear me into the ground. Some of you know what I'm talking about. But here's the other problem with kids in one arm and perfectionism in another. When I'm like this, I don't have a hand to lend to anybody else. The weight of my situation pulls the entirety of my focus on me and I'm not looking out for anybody else around me. But something powerful happens when you're willing to lay down perfectionism. You have a hand to help others. I mean, so many of us have been marked by times when somebody went out of their way to help us. Can I tell you something? When you have perfection in your arm. You don't have the hand to lend to other people who probably so desperately need it. But when you're willing to put it down, you become free to help others. Your eyes lift up. Your vision is more than just you. And you never know the difference you can make in somebody's life like that. I'll tell you a story as we wrap. There, there's a family I'll introduce you to. Some of you have actually met these people. This is Carlos and Gina Isasinga and their children. They have an amazing faith story. Some of you guys saw them. They were church plant residents and planted a church called Luminous City in downtown San Diego. And, and they spent time at Momentum sitting there learning how we do church. They brought their launch team in and they visited and they learned from us. But I'll tell you what, one of the most impressive things isn't the, the fact that these families in ministry and they planted a church. They are people of faith. They have incredible young ladies as daughters and their young son who is handicapped. They just love, when you see them around that young boy, their, their love just, just 
spills out in, into the world around them. Uh, they're a family who, who's doing the, the family thing God's way. They're walking in trust and they're walking free. Now, I'll tell you something. It was about, well, my son Bear is four now, so he was about six months old, so three and a half years ago. Uh, around the time they had moved to Chula Vista, I, I was taking the kids to Costco. My wife works as a nurse a couple days a week, and so I wanted to get out of the house. And I said, babe, don't worry, I got the Costco run. We hadn't done much grocery shopping, and man, we needed some of them chicken nuggets to get us through and some other Costco things. And so I load up the kids and take them to Costco. I'm super dad for crying out loud. I'm going to have two in the cart, you know, Penny. Penny so Bear, six months, Penny's probably around three-ish, and then Lucy's probably around five-ish. I'm like, I can do this. I put the double cart. You got the two kids. Lucy, you're going to help me. You're going to grab stuff. You're going to put it in the cart. We got this. And so we had the time of our lives shopping Costco, eating, you know, eating the samples and everything. I'm letting the kids have the samples. This is pre-COVID. I pray that they bring the samples back because I miss them. We're running through the aisles. We're getting all the stuff we need. I'm letting the kids buy the ice cream sandwiches. Again, I am super dad and nothing is standing in my way. We go all the way through Costco. I mean, the cart is loaded. The kids are on edge, but we've nearly made it. And then if you guys live locally, you know that our Costco here in Chula Vista, it goes great until it's time to check out. And then all those checkout lanes back into that tiny space and you're crowded. I'm like, Lucy, just get in the cart. And, and so they pile into the cart and the two are in the front of the cart and Lucy just riding on top of the groceries. I find us a line. And I'm like, oh, thank goodness. So we wait in that line. And Bear gets this look in his eye. I, I don't know what he's thinking, but I know what's about to happen. And as he lets out his first grunt, a blowout happens. Now, if you're 20-something, college age, high school, whatever, blowout, don't worry. Ask your parents what a blowout is. Any seasoned parent here could tell you about the blowout. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a physics phenomenon when a kid decides to, I, I'm not going to get into it. Here's what happens. Bear explodes from the backside out. And his little shorts were tucked back this way under the diaper, making a ramp and he sprays the entirety of our grocery cart, you know, with his, with his crap. It's all over the groceries. It gets all over my hands. It goes leaking down the cart into a pile on the floor in front of me. No, no sooner does that happen. They say, right this way, sir. These two kids start grabbing the groceries out of the cart, having no idea what just happened. I'm trying to stop them. I don't know if I should say anything. I don't know if they'll just not notice and we can get out of here. But then I look down at Bear and see he is coded. I panicked. I literally had a moment of shock where I froze, not knowing what to do. And then, I look up and some way, somehow, Gina comes running up to me with two handfuls of paper towels, dives into the mess with me, cleans the cart and the floor, cleans off bare, grabs some wet wipes. I don't know how it happened, but in 30 seconds, everything was clean and we were back on our way. Now, I'll tell you something. Gina 
had trusted God with her crap. And because she did, she was able to help me with mine. May you go and do likewise. Happy Mother's Day, y'all. Peace.